0: Welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you have been having a wonderful week. I also hope you took an opportunity to read the story of Samson and Delilah. I myself enjoyed refreshing my memory with a story I haven't studied since I was young. Today we start a multi-week study on Jericho. The fall of Jericho is one of the most popular Old Testament narratives and one that often has even the most staunch believer wondering. Did that really happen? We are going to dive headfirst into that question with several different articles. Now, before I introduce this week's article, and I'm actually gonna do this, this series a little bit differently than I did our series on Solomon. I'm actually breaking this particular article up into two parts because I, I'm setting you up for what's coming up. So I'm laying a lot of groundwork this week on what the basic archaeology the main archaeological uh, digs have shown so i'm laying a lot of groundwork this week next week we'll really starve into the arguments and dive down into them uh really hard and then we'll we'll continue that argument uh over the next several weeks so um just hang with me this week we're laying some groundwork we're putting that foundation in so we can have a successful study on jericho so I want to take a moment to discuss the broader archaeological climate. Okay, so archaeology as a field is always growing, developing, and changing. Techniques change, and every new discovery has the potential to shift timelines and even open the door to the translations of long dead languages. So, also, personal biases do come into play, and the thing is, archaeology is part an exact science and part an art because we can date. We have science that can date things fairly precisely. And, but at the same time, there's also an art to it, knowing where to dig, how to dig, what to look for, how to catalog. A lot of these things, we have proper scientific and proper methodologies for doing them, but there's still a little bit of bias that creeps in. We all have our own things we like to do. And we come into a situation sometimes with a lot of biases. So sometimes as the historian part of me has to sort of put away my, my personal biases towards a subject in order to stick with the facts as they're known at the time. So, um, and even the most careful researcher may overlook evidence against or for a contrarian view. Now, when this happens, academics tend to engage in what I like to call intellectual nonsense. Sometimes you see several articles between academics where they spend 15 pages telling the other one they are wrong. Sometimes it can be funny because no one says anything bad. They're just saying, well, you're wrong. Well, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And reading 15 pages of why someone's wrong and then someone's follow up to why that person is wrong can sort of be entertaining. It's like watching an argument on Facebook at 2 o'clock in the morning. Not that I've ever done that. So, without further ado, today we are going to introduce Exhibit A in the Intellectual Argument over Jericho's Destruction with an article written by Bryant G. Wood that appeared in the March-April 1990 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review and is titled... Did the Israelites conquer Jericho a new look at the archaeological evidence and I actually remember when this article came out and granted I was like 15 at the time. But what I remember was it causing a stir because everyone's always debated that narrative that we've understood about Jericho's destruction. And you have the firm believers in the biblical account that say yes this absolutely happened because the Bible is infallible and then you have the scientific side of the of the, the historical and sci- and archaeological community saying that's impossible that could never have happened like that so again this week we're going to dive into some the two main uh, uh, archaeological expeditions that are creating our argument over the next couple of weeks so hang with me, we're gonna be okay, we're gonna get through this, but you have to kind of get understanding what was going on in order to understand why this argument has become so loud. So Dr. Wood begins by discussing some of the earliest archeological excavations at Jericho. And these really, really early ones in the late 19th century, early part of the 20th century, uh, aren't are not really super relevant to to the discussion at hand it's basically establishing that yes Jericho existed so these these first couple of archaeological excavations I'm not even going to detail because it was like I said more or less well did this place even exist was the tell where where uh, Jericho was found was it artificial was it natural so it was just diving into the question of was this actually a place and so yes that determined Yes, this is Jericho. So, um, Jericho, we are told, is located on the western edge of the Jordan Valley and has an excellent water supply and climate. It is also strategically located. Any army wanting to enter from the east would have to get through Jericho first, which is precisely what the Israelites did. Because of Jericho's biblical historical importance, it was the second site in the holy land undergo archaeological scrutiny obviously jerusalem was the first while there have been several excavations i'm going to summarize the major points of the two archaeologists in question now the first person we're going to discuss is john garstang he was a british archaeologist he was the first to use modern methods on the site though his methods were still crude by today's standards again archaeology is Ar- archaeological methodology is always developing growing changing tools even change from pickaxes and to paintbrushes. so just remember his he did well but his methods were pretty crude by today's standards now he dug from 1930 to 1936 and published his findings in a series of preliminary reports it's unfortunately that mr. Garstang dug what he did because we had a major world event happen in 1939 and that really curtailed the publication of his final report. The Second World War prevented him from publishing a final report but after the war he published a popular account that summarized his final views. The extent of Garstang's excavations were his excavation of a collapsed double wall he dated to the late 15th to early 14th century BCE, which we all know as the Late Bronze Age, because you've been hanging with me for a while, you know these, these these time frames. Now, one thing I do wanna say, and I've used it, you'll, you'll very rarely ever hear me use the terms BC and AD. I will usually use BCE or CE, and that says before the Common Era and the Common Era. And these are religiously neutral terms to before, BC and AD which is before Christ and anti dominum. So I'm taking that religious religiosity out of my dating. So this is a common methodological practice done by archaeologists in every field. So it takes a religious bias out of it. So BCE or CE are going to be the preferred terms we'll be using. So additionally, he excavated a residential area which he believed was part of the city fortified by the double wall. This could have even been the part of town where Rahab lived. He called this City 4, and it had been totally destroyed in a massive fire. He concluded the end of City 4 came about in about 1400 BCE, and he based his conclusion on pottery found in the destruction debris, on scarabs recovered from nearby tombs, and the absence of Mycenaean ware. Now, Mycenaean, the Mycenaeans were a Proto-Greek group that lived on the island of Mycenae, which is outside of the, the Peloponnese, or the Greek peninsula. He assigned the destruction of Jericho to the invading Israelites. Again, I think there was some biblical bias creeping in. And his conclusions were the cause of controversy among his colleagues. Several years later, after some advances in Palestinian archaeology, Garstang asked an up-and-coming British archaeologist by the name name of Kathleen Kenyon to review his work. She reviewed his work and findings and determined that Jericho as a whole was destroyed at the end of the Middle Bronze Age, about the mid-16th century BCE, and was largely unoccupied throughout the Late Bronze Age, except for a very small area briefly occupied in the 14th century BCE. So because Kenyon had questions which were raised in her critique, she opened up a new campaign of excavations from 1952 through 1958. She ushered in a new era of Palestinian archeology span by introducing rigorous stratigraphic techniques, detailing soil analyses and debris layers, and careful recording of the sides of the excavation squares. So we've talked about strata before, how you can date. We can, we can date with reasonable certainty a level of strata within an archeological site by things like pottery tools, and that sort of thing. Um, she concluded that her field work confirmed her earlier review of Garstang's work. Again, here's a bias. She wants to confirm she was correct and Garstang may not have been totally correct. So her own bias crept in here. What she concluded led her to believe that no strongly fortified late Bronze Age city at Jericho was available for for Joshua to conquer. Because the biblical account talks about a thriving city, large, well populated, that, that joshua had to overcome in order to progress into uh, canaan or the holy land not only did Kenyon's evidence conflict with the biblical account it actually disproved it the her excavations and conclusions highlighted the difficulties encountered when trying to correlate archaeological findings with biblical accounts and the crowd goes wild because here we are now people who don't want to believe the bible say here this lady proved that Jericho didn't happen the way it said in the Bible. Scholars have written off biblical record as folklore and religious rhetoric. When Kenyon died in 1978, she never saw the final publication of her excavation. Her conclusions were published in a popular book released the year before she completed her field work. So we're talking like 56, 57, 1956, 1957. The detailed evidence of her work only became available in 1982 and 1983 when two books on pottery excavated from the area were published. This, along with her stratigraphic data, allows an independent assessment of her conclusions. Now, before Dr. Wood gets into his discussion on why Garstang's date of destruction of 1400 BCE is more realistic than Kenyon's date of 1550 BCE, he discusses Kenyon's methodology. Now, I kind of gave you a a teaser there, but we still got to figure out why is, is Garstang more correct and we'll get into that later. He discusses, like I said, Kenyon's methodology. The final reports on her excavations published after her death present only the raw data, which is actually kind of a good thing with no analysis or comment. So when you have only the raw data to deal with, you can make more independent conclusions. Our speculative conclusions of her work are drawn from scattered statements in various writings. In other words, we're taking what she wrote in her diary as evidence of her final conclusions, which may or may not have been correct to do. But because she died before her final report could be issued, we don't really know what Kenyon would have actually said in her final report. When we do this, when we look at her scattered writings and her her conclusions drawn from her writings, it becomes clear she based her opinion on the absence of pottery imported from Cyprus that was common to the late Bronze I period. This type of imported pottery had previously been found in tombs in Megiddo, and she used this pottery to construct her ceramic typology for the late Bronze I period, which isn't necessarily incorrect, but it's incomplete. While she does mention certain local pottery types prevalent in this period, she very obviously ignored these types, even though they appeared regularly in the final layers of City Four. It is strange that Kenyon didn't focus more on local pottery, even though many examples of local daily use pottery from the late Bronze I period were available for her to work with. So there was actual evidence of late Bronze I pottery that she had access to that she never even looked at. Whether or not she would have looked at this in a final analysis, we don't necessarily know for certain. But based on her scattered writings, this is what we've determined. She chose instead to focus on the lack of imported wares when reaching her conclusions. This focus on what was not found does not take Jericho's location outside of major trade routes into effect. Dating habitation levels at Jericho from the absence of imported wares is not only methodologically unsound, it's just plain unacceptable. Kenyon drew her comparisons from large cities like Megiddo, which were situated on major trade routes far from Jericho, where Jericho was a small site, relatively speaking, well away from major trade routes of the day. What is also now known is that both Garstang and Kenyon dug in a poor section of the city that only contained humble dwellings. Since this was the case, why would they have found copious amounts of presumably very expensive imported pottery? To add to the dismay of Kenyon's poor methodology, she only excavated two sections measuring 26 feet by 26 feet. She based her entire argument on the fact no expensive imported pottery was found in a poor section of a city located far from major trade routes. Now, I'm gonna do something this week that I have never done, like I said. I'm gonna break this week's discussion here and resume our review next week. Next Thursday, we will conclude our discussion on Dr. Bryant Wood's article, Did the Israelites Conquer Jericho? A new look at the archeological evidence that appeared in the March-April 1990 issue of Biblical Archeology span Review. Join us Monday for a multi-week study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. As always, I enjoy hearing from you. Reach out to me by email at kimg@pastandpresentpodcast@gmail.com, at, at gmail.com, on Twitter at at podcast underscore past, and on Facebook at Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. Again, this is Kim Groves, hoping you stay blessed and unstressed, and unbothered by the rest. God bless.